Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Ready. It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 283 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week, I've got a great interview with David Barron, creator of a new book from 451 Media Group called Stained. Number one is out, and I met David at the recent Comic Palooza in Houston, Texas. I really love the book. It's very much of a sci-fi, crime, noir, character-oriented mystery series that has a lot of heart to it and a lot of great action sequences that will keep you riveted to your seat, as well as these wonderful characters that really just leap off the page at you. We discuss how he got started in comics, which is an interesting story in itself, and then we get into the comic and how he made it work and what kind of a future Stained might have for us who are fans of the series. He's got a lot of interesting stories to relate and a great comic to talk about, so I'm sure you're going to enjoy what he has to say. There's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. glad to welcome David Barron to the podcast. David, who is known as a comic book writer and color artist, and who has a new book out from 451 Media Group called Stained, which I saw first at Comic Palooza in Houston. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. It's good to talk with you. Why don't we talk a little bit about your career first? Because like I said, you're one of a different group that I'm not used to running into. I've seen writers who are letterers, but I don't know if I've ever run into a writer who's a color artist. Do you want to talk a bit about how you got it to this point? Yeah, so I started in comics back in 1993-94, that time period when I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. I started with a coloring house called In Color, which was a sister company of Wildstorm Productions. Mm -hmm. It was owned and operated by John Nee, who was the VP of Wildstorm. Mm -hmm. And 
his sister, uh, Clydeine, who also ran uh, Artist Alley in San Diego Comic-Con. She operated it and managed it. The way I found that place was I grew up in San Diego, the home of San Diego Comic-Con. And and when I was in seventh grade, I, I went to my first convention and I saw that you could show your portfolio. So I showed, uh, I got things together in my eighth grade and I got a portfolio done, uh, me and my best friend. And, and I ventured off to go get some, you know, reviews and feedback. Mm-hmm. And I remember the reviews, you know, very well cause they were completely negative. Oh. And uh, as you would imagine from an eighth grader, you know, quite young, but I was the type of person that really enjoyed the feedback and, and the process of it. So I, took the feedback to heart. I didn't make it, you know, I didn't let it discourage me. I I took it as notes and to see what, you know, other pros and editors wanted to see. And I went back the following year of ninth grade and I lucked out. And these are during the summer. So transitions for eight, ninth, ninth and 10th. And, and I lucked out and I got a business card. Now at that time, those years, there wasn't the internet, you know, with LinkedIn and all these other ways to get a hold of companies. Mm-hmm. The addresses were secret and they all had mailing addresses, you know, in the back of the book that were not their actual location. Mm-hmm. Minus things like DC Comics that have security. So they didn't care if you knew where they were. Mm-hmm. But Wildstorm kept everything secret. And so I got a business card at that convention from Jim Lee's mother-in-law who worked, yeah, who worked in uh, at Wildstorm, but on, you know, the business side of it. And she gave me a card, like my stuff, and she's, oh, call this person. And she totally did something she wasn't supposed to, but she wasn't of the comic world where she didn't know better to you know, not give a 15-year-old a business card. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, because that you know, kind of started that happy accident, started my career. <laughs> and um, so I called Wildstorm. They gave me uh, you know, the spiel of, hmm, you sound young. How old are you? How did you get this number? You know? <laughs> and um, I said exactly how I got the number. And, and they said, huh. And uh, they said, okay, well, we're going to give you a different number to call because, you know, you can't work at Wildstorm. You're too young. You have to be 18 to work here. And I said, okay. And I took the, you know, took the next number and, and it was the number of Clyden Nia in color. And it turned out that she had a friend that worked closely with my mom at her job uh, at the San Diego Zoo. And so I kind of had the insight trait, you know, there, but then I also had passion for the job and, and, what it was, was I was showing my portfolio, not for coloring, but for, you know, writing and drawing. I wanted to, you know, to be a, a penciler and, and create comics. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as a 15 year old, you'll take any job you can. Mm-hmm. And coloring was brand new. Digital coloring was brand new. Mm-hmm. We weren't using Photoshop at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used a different system called Cod Barrett, which was a polygon based system where you plugged in each number. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I learned the trade and learned from kids that were in college and then, when I turned 18, I got to go Wildstorm proper. Mm. And that's when my you know career really took off, where I got to do Planetary and Authority and Global Frequency and so many other great books like Gen 13 and Divine mm. Right. And mm-hmm. th- th- you just keep going and going with some of the greats of Wildstorm as came and went. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it being 25 years of Wildstorm, it's, you know, there was a good chunk of what I was able to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, with, with that, you know, I wore different hats there. So we talked about me being a color artist and, and a writer, but at the same time at Wildstorm, I was a designer as well, where I designed trade dresses and logos and inside front covers and back covers and ads. And at one point we did some Mad Magazine animating 
where we did some flash animations for the website and uh, we did a lot of things. I mean, people, you know, back then I even filmed the books before digital printing was around. <laughs> I would actually film the books and send it off to the printer. And, you know, you heard about, you know, how people would hide, you know, secret messages inside, you know, the printing plates. I mean, that, that was the job that I did minus the, you know, hiding messages. I never did that, but, uh, but it was one of those jobs. And so I did a little bit of everything. Uh, DC Comics bought Wildstorm mm-hmm. with Wildstorm there. You know, they, they wanted the color in house, which is great, but it didn't quite work out for that reason, mm-hmm. which is why I went to Wildstorm design for a little bit more work. So I could freelance coloring. Freelance was taking off way too much. So I left Wildstorm and just concentrated on coloring freelance. That's when uh, DC Comics signed me up to an exclusive deal that lasted over a decade. I was exclusive with DC Comics, mm. uh, working you know on JLA uh, with with Doug Monkey and, and many other Batman titles. Mm-hmm. Um, and when New Fifty Two came out, I actually left DC Comics as a freelancer and took a job as an art director. For Cryptozoic Entertainment, which was, again, John Nee's company, he left DC Comics, and he started a company, and I became his art director. There I edited comics, hired artists, wrote a little bit there for games, and uh, we produced – my main focus was producing the artwork for the World of Warcraft trading card game, where I worked hand-in-hand with art editors at Blizzard Entertainment up in Irvine. And uh, after that, I left Cryptozoic to go back to comics, which was my true passion. At Cryptozoic, I was planning Stained back then. And part of the deal of me going there was to do more comics. It just didn't work out for you know multiple reasons that happened in business. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I left and I wrote Stained right away. Mm-hmm. And in that transition is also when Valiant Comics got a hold of me via David Macho. Mm-hmm who's an art agent who had a lot of artists working with Valiant at the time. And, and I sent out a tweet, Modern Technology, where I sent out a tweet and uh, said, if anyone wants a colorist, you know, my schedule is completely empty. Mm-hmm. And he was like, how, how is that possible? So uh, mm-hmm. that's how I started my career with, you know, Valiant. But Stain was already in the progress. So I used all my skills and knowledge, you know, from my past experience. And uh, I found uh, Yusuf eventually. To draw stain he did an excellent job i loved everything he did on on his tryout mm-hmm. and i said yep we're doing this so i fully funded stained mm-hmm. number one and all the other issues as well before i found a publisher mm-hmm. and then i eventually found 451 to show it to uh, i showed it to james over at 451 mm-hmm. he loved it and then the rest is history we just you know we found each other and, and off is stain number one I've got to ask a question. How did you meet Jim Lee's relative at uh, San Diego? Did she have a booth? Did you know somebody? I'm, I'm just that, that just kind of puzzles me a little bit. Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, it's it's one that you know I'm glad you you asked because a lot of people you know skim over that part, but yet that's that's such a huge part. So mm-hmm. the Wildstorm family and I and I and I've known this because I was part of the Comic Con booth for for many years uh, with Wildstorm before DC bought us. And as soon as I started, I had my first artist alley table at age 15 through Clyde Knee. And so basically at Wildstorm, especially DC, uh, sorry, uh, San Diego Comic Con back then, back in early 90s, late 90s, what happens is they had a booth that 
wasn't necessarily for signing or merchandise like it is now. It was always just for you know saying hey to the fans and, and more advertising of a product. And you, we the main thing Boost did back then was just hand out posters. Like you'd walk by a square booth and the tables connected all the way around, and they just had a bunch of posters laying around. And every once in a while, there'd be editors and and other people that worked at Wildstorm because it's such a family operation. And what you would do is, uh, because it's local, because Wildstorm was in La Jolla, not too far away from San Diego Comic-Con, they would have all the employees work it. Mm. And so Betty was one of the, you know, since she was, you know, in the business side of of Wildstorm, she also would go there and work the event. So it just happened to be her. It's not, I didn't know she was Jim Lee's mother-in-law, not, not for, you know, uh, I'd probably say three years. You know, I I probably, when I reintroduced myself to Betty, when I moved from in color to Wildstorm proper, I did not know she was Jim's mother-in-law at the time. Hmm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right place, right time. Yeah, right That's place, thing. right time. Sometimes it's better to be good and lucky. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not sometimes. It's always better to be good and lucky. It's, <laughs> it, you know, it's one thing just to be good. It's one thing just to be lucky. But, you know, the people that are good and lucky mm-hmm. are the ones that we know about. Mm-hmm. Now, i got to ask you, too, you're still with Valiant or has that come to a, a conclusion there? No, I'm still with Valiant. We just got the first pages of Divinity Four Eternity uh, in. I, you know, the the way Valiant works, they have cut back a lot of projects for me. Where I was, you know, a lot of people now is doing, you know, several projects in a row. Mm-hmm. Lately, uh, it's it's only been one here, one there. I just finished Valiant High, which was a digital only book. Right. So not everyone got to see that mm-hmm. if they're not into digital comics at all. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend Valiant High. It's written by Daniel Kibblesmith, and he did a great job with it. And, and Derek, uh, his art was just fantastic. So I really enjoyed that book. It was cut. It's, it's a completely different take on the Valiant universe, and it's a completely different vibe. And so I just really enjoyed that lighthearted, back to the love of comics feel. So I did that. But yeah, No Eternity, which is the next series for Divinity, is right around the corner. Hmm. Good. I interviewed Mr. Kibblesmith a couple of weeks ago when I was at C2E2 and was on this podcast, too. So, yeah, that Valiant High is great fun. Uh, it's just a great little thing. And it's coming out in Comixology, so if people want to get it, that's the way to do it. So, okay, so Stained. First thing i got to ask, of course, is how did you come up with the name Stained? Why did you name it that? It felt the most appropriate for Emma's storyline. So not only is, does it reference the derogatory term towards uh, people that look like her and are built like her in society, the ride that Emma goes on, I felt that stained is quite appropriate, uh, especially for the long haul of her storyline. And so as the story you know, peels back its many layers through the you know, many issues I have planned, the title stain becomes more and more appropriate. Okay. Now, why don't you give the TV Guide version of what Stained is about? A TV Guide version of Stain is you meet Emma London, who is a, a cyborg bounty hunter slash recovery artist. She goes after the things the police don't want to go after because, A, it's either too messy or, B, too hard. And we get to follow her. I like to call it as a sci-fi action-adventure thrill ride. Mm -hmm. The whole art is completely done, so it'll be on time every time. Mm. Yusuf's art's amazing. We have Yusuf Idris on artwork. He does full ink wash, pencils and inks. 
We have Simon Bolin on letters. We have me on colors mm-hmm. and, and doing all the writing. Mm-hmm. We have Steve Morris doing all the main covers. And then I have five different variant artists that are top-notch, respected professionals you know, across the board mm-hmm. that I love. And it's definitely has that beginning, middle, and end that, you know, people who loves a good story appreciates. It doesn't give you that, you know, oh, what's happening next cliffhanger at the very, very end of the issue. It's, it's very clear what happened. Mm-hmm. Does it make you want to want more at the end? I hope so. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, you know, there's definitely always possibilities in the superhero universes to keep telling more stories. She has more stories. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the actual, this story, it, it is complete. This tale People definitely have told me who read it all, you know, skews on the dark side mm-hmm. of sci-fi. So the people that are, you know, into a little bit darker sci-fi tales, even slightly horrific, they'll be quite happy with this. Mm-hmm. Yet I think the people that, you know, really love a good adventure, they'll also be excited to read this. Mm-hmm. Well, the first issue that I read, I really enjoyed it. I I got to the end of it, and you, there's, there's not really a cliffhanger at the end, but you get a sense of there could be more. Now, you do something that I like in the book. You include some pages from uh, issue two in there, mm-hmm. which has a, a very different kind of uh, adventure going on for her. So I like the, the what you're doing about it. I, right off the bat, I have to tell you, I am so pleased to find a comic with a strong female lead. I, it drives me crazy that there that women cannot be really strong in the lead role. I have these friends, and the people who have listened to this podcast before have heard me go on about this occasionally. I don't think that a woman needs to be maternal to be a lead character. And your character, I would not use the word maternal to describe her. Yeah, I mean, I like to tell people that she's a she's a combination of every strong woman in my life. <laughs> Whether that means that woman's successful or not is is a different story. Strong doesn't necessarily mean, you know, a successful businesswoman. Strong means that they're self-reliant. They take care of themselves. They take care of others and do the best they can. And then she's also a combination of me. I actually say, you know, every weakness of Emma is actually my weakness, hmm. not so much, you know, a, a, a woman that I know. And when people said, you know, why, I, I, I get people to say, uh, oh, very, you know, bold choice having your first writing book a woman lead. And I say, to me, it's, it's not, it's not an issue. I don't think of women not having strong leads because I won't buy those type of books. So almost every book that I read, it doesn't have to have a strong female lead, but a lot of them do. So I just kind of surround my world with strong female roles in comics and movies and kind of stay away from anything that just looks to be glitz and glamour of the female body and I, and so with that said i do find emma quite strong and i and i find her to be very real at the same time she has real issues we did at comic palooza we did a panel talking about you know strong female leads and and one of the things that when people ask they could say well how do you, how can you write a woman mm-hmm. and you know you're not a woman and it's like well how can a woman write a man mm-hmm. you know it's you use you use you know your experiences and there are certain, you know, experienced writers that use very chauvinistic opinions because that's, you know, their world. And I think as a writer, their world comes through their writing where my world is, again, filled with amazing, wonderful, strong women who have absolutely influenced this book of who they are. Um, you know, that there's if someone says, well, it's, you know, Emma's supposed to be ugly or she's supposed to be beautiful or she, you know, it's like, 
I stay away from that, not because I'm afraid to answer, it's because that's the last thing that's on my mind. You know, to me, Emma's very beautiful, but does that mean that, you know, she's, you know, definition, you know, of sexy or something like that? It's like, that's, that has nothing to do with the story, so it's not even on my radar to answer. It, this book is completely story-based. People love the characterizations, you know, of the banter that she has with other people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I try to tell people, I go, uh, she's someone who... Uh, is secure with who she is, even though the world isn't secure with who she is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that shows up with her banter with the police station and, and kind of the why, you know, the police don't really care for her. You know, is it, is it her job? Is it her, you know, looks? Is it her personality? You know, or, or is it all of the above? And, and I like to keep everything all of the above when I write. Mm-hmm. I'll have to say, the thing that impressed me too, I, I, I just am so glad to see somebody who's not a mom being able to do this because I, I, I don't have anything against moms. I, I had a great one when I was growing up, but I am happy to see more and more action-oriented women. You know, it used to be people would call this, and I, nothing against this, but they used to call a woman like Emma, she would be like a man with tits is the words that they used. Right. And I was always kind of like, how can it be? How can you sit there and say, you know, that, that men can be scoundrels and scientists and all this stuff, and women can only be maternal? I don't, I don't never get that one. Yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely a different culture because when I, I do remember, you know, even though it's not the books I surround myself with, the creators I surround myself with, you know, when I read or, or watch anything, yeah. I do remember growing up in a kind of a culture where, you know, women are in bathing suits, I mean, full on bathing suits as their costume, Mm -hmm. and without any real purpose. Mm -hmm. And, but besides being a seductress, I mean, every female villain was a seductress. You know, that was their overall superpower was that they were sexy. So even though they had a strong magical power, supernatural power, they were completely sexy. And I think comics have really moved on. I think the readers have moved on. I, I, I don't necessarily fault what's happened in the past, but I'm so happy it's moved on. And whenever I see a comic book company kind of going in that direction, I instantly think like, Ooh, that's dated, you know, mm-hmm. source. That's a dated look. You know, like I can't imagine that having much traction. And, and, you know, I've been around long enough at many shows where I, I can actually see that really doesn't have a big traction and that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, still will have its niche and I'm okay with that. You know, as long as it's not the majority, mm-hmm. I'm okay with people enjoying that. I will I, I will never tell someone what to enjoy, but I will tell them don't buy something if they don't enjoy it. Don't have to complete a collection just because you've been buying it forever. Mm-hmm. If you're not enjoying it, you know, have some self-control and spend that dollar on something else, give something else uh, a chance. Uh, that's, I mean, that's the only way staying successful, you know, is people giving Emma a chance like yourself and giving it a read and finding there, there are other, you know, really, you know, strong qualities out there from something that's not the big two. Well, you know, something, uh, some events in this book really make me feel like you were standing up for stronger women. And the very first sequence is her at a bar where a guy basically uh, doesn't behave the way she would like him to. And she lets him know that rather forcefully. And even, you're right, you said about the fact that a police station and stuff like that, they don't like her, and we don't know exactly if, if it's her appearance or what it is. And I always kind of felt like, you know, maybe on some levels, this is kind of allegorical for women. What women have gone through in the past is that they have not yet earned their place in society the way that they should. 
And so when I was reading this, I kept thinking, man, you really, you know, you're doing a great job of standing up for stronger women who don't necessarily need to be stood up for. But it's nice to see somebody really stand up and point out these things that even though she's not liked necessarily by everybody, she still is herself and she's content with that. I appreciate that. No, I, I really do. And, and with the first three pages, I try to set up a lot of stuff. One of, one of my keys as a writer was never to talk down to the reader. Don't think your reader is dumb. Instead, actually think your reader is very smart and understands what comics is and, and enjoys the medium. And with those first three pages, I tried to introduce what the world is. I mean, that's the first time that you actually get to hear her called – stained you get to see the interactions you get to see that she's not completely unique i mean to me emma's very unique however there's other people in this world that have the same type of prosthetics as she does you know there's more cyborgs than just than just her in this world so that's not what necessarily makes her unique yet the person who is verbally attacking her makes her feel isolated. She feels instantly better than her and confident enough to really tell someone to their face, you know, how ugly are they are and how poor they are. Mm-hmm. And which I think in today's world does happen. So I think there's a lot of reality in in a on real world uh, in this book. And I think that's key to making that connection with the reader that you have to have just enough reality to keep everything believable where they can actually feel the same emotions as Emma or any of the other characters. And and that is that is really key throughout the whole series. I, I need you to connect with Emma and some of the other characters so you can feel their pain and their anguish and their need and their desires. I, I tell people that this book is about a couple different things, but the first part for Emma, I feel that it's about personal responsibility towards society. And especially in a society that doesn't necessarily agree with you, what is your personal responsibility towards the rest of you know your community that you live in, even if that community doesn't care to have you in it? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's that. There is undertones of vanity, mm-hmm. um, and uh, someone you know had a conversation with me. And I can agree with it, you know, that to a level it's humanity, what makes you human, because as you find out, you know, Emma is a very extreme full cyborg. And uh, so that does that even make her human? And then there's also the, the very, you know, much tone the whole way through of the haves and the have nots. There's, there's definitely a class system mm-hmm. where the rich are, are out of hand. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wouldn't ever say this is... Uh, bashing the rich. I think it's a very healthy thing to want to have money to try to ease some of the responsibilities, especially, you know, fiscally. However, it's really about losing your control because power, it's more about power and and being power hungry and and losing control because you, you became powerful. And that can happen at any age, at any amount of wealth that you might have, you could still become so hungry with power or possessed with power that you act inappropriate. Uh, to those who you know do not have that power, mm-hmm. so there, there's a lot of different things for people to read into. I, I tell people all the time after you read the fifth issue, I highly recommend you know you going back to issue one and starting all over again because I feel like there'll be uh, even more you know uh, out of it because Yusuf and I put so much into it mm-hmm. to really convey a lot of a lot of meaning even on the reread. 
And I like the supporting character of George. I liked him a lot because, you know, he accepts her as who she is and works with her. And so I kind of like that. You get, after you see the cops sort of not like her, it's nice to see a guy that actually accepted her and worked with her. So I was real happy with that character. I liked him a lot. Everyone is based off, you know, uh, you know, as every good writer, I think, does, is really pulls from their experiences. And, and George is based off of a friend of mine. Hmm. And, you know, not completely, but uh, I would say a good chunk of George. And one of George's real life personalities was acceptance of people that come with me. Those guys are jerks. You come with me. I'll help you out, Mm -hmm. you know, type of type of personality. And that it's a very sincere role. And again, pulling from real life experiences of how George and I would sit in an office just talking about certain things and, and taking care of each other, which is very important. And so, I'm, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really happy that people, you know, enjoy George. I'm really happy that people enjoy the cashier scenes, mm-hmm. you know, with Emma, mm-hmm. um, you know, just the deadpanness of her, because I, I think we've all been there. I think I think the one thing about staying one it really helps set up her world so we can get on to the adventure at hand. Mm-hmm. And it instantly connects you emotionally to Emma. So you can now go on the journey with her that, you know, happens these next four issues, mm-hmm. feeling, you know, every punch that she might take or every hit that she might give in the action adventure sci-fi thriller that, you know, those things occur, yet you're already engulfed in her emotion. So now it's going to mean mean that much more to you. Now, one of the things that made me like Emma the most was the bad guy of this issue, was a Johnny, the guy Mm -hmm. that she has to take on. I mean, he is so full of himself. Yeah. And he has... There are certain things that happen that would, that aren't explained. You know, this, uh, something's supposed to happen to him, and he knows it's going to happen for some reason. And so I, you know, all those kind of things go on, and then she gets into a full blow confrontation with him. And I really like that. There's a, a place at which he's just basically telling her, "You're never going to win. Better people than you have tried," kind of stuff. And she thinks to herself, one place says, I'm going to enjoy this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we get to the place where she sort of, sort of lets him know that he should not be as full of himself as he, as he is. Yeah. One, you know, one of the things I like to do is let people read into things mm-hmm. and, and follow along, along without calling it out. Mm-hmm. And then I like to you know, explain it a little bit deeper in, in podcasts or, or just in person at, at shows. And, mm-hmm. and so within Johnny – He's a diamond smuggler. You know, he, he, he's willing to kill people for diamonds and, and then sell them to weasels, you know, the bezler. And, and uh, one thing about him is he wants to look strong. So he has enough money to, you know, put synthetic flesh mm-hmm. over his, you know, enhancements, as I call them. Mm-hmm. But he, he brags about them. He put diamonds, you know, he's covered in diamonds all over his prosthetics. He has diamonds mm-hmm. for knuckles. And, you know, like he likes to brag. And, and one of the things that, I like people and someone, you know, I can say it because someone's already kind of caught on to it mm-hmm. was he had more enhancements in his ears. He can hear better, you know, it's oh. part of part of his thing. So it's like it was just one of those subtle things. So he, he heard the click, you mm-hmm. know, far away because mm-hmm. that's what he needs to do, which is why he's kind of survived for so long. But then when he saw it was a, a girl attacking him, he's like, ha ha ha, this is stupid. You know, like this girl can't do anything. And then Where's the one punch, you know, where's the one place, you know, someone who's going to enhance his muscles mm-hmm. and his ears and everything's not going to touch, mm-hmm. you know, he's not going to touch, you know, that area that he has such manly pride in. And that was the one place that she could take him out on. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, it's not only a battle of strength with those two, but ultimately it was a battle of wits where she prevailed. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I, I definitely enjoyed that scene as, you know, as Bond villain, as, as some of, you know, my villains are, I love a good Bond villain, you know, mm-hmm. like I love a good villain that can be taken out with wit, not just strength or not just opportunity. Mm-hmm. I thought that scene was fun. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm glad, you know, you enjoyed it with Anjani. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to talk about the end of the book, too, and I don't want to spoil anything, but let's just say that being a cyborg, she's almost like Supergirl on some levels. But we get to mm-hmm. the end of the book, and we find out that being a cyborg also has its weaknesses, which I really liked. And I don't know, I, I doubt you want to explain all no, that. No, you know, I, this is if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't read it yet, you know, you can, you can do a little spoiler pause and, and come back to the podcast to finish because, mm-hmm. like, I, I do enjoy talking about it. Mm-hmm. I definitely didn't give it anything away, you know, before the book came out. But now that the book's out, yeah, no, we we she she takes off her legs and and she actually puts them in to get charged up, and she's fully getting charged up. One of the things that actually makes her unique is the fact that you know she charges herself up, and and there's there's some backstory in that that uh, this series doesn't really get into, but it's one of those extra questions that if someone's really into the character and you know uh, wants to read more, there there's more that will you know develop of you know, how she came to be with charging up. But that's how she can jump so high and punch so hard. She supercharges her punches a little bit better. She has a little bit more uh, energy through it. But uh, with that was kind of a sign of weakness where that means it also drains. You know, that if you, if you get too tired, if you're out too long, mm-hmm. she might become even that much slower than someone else who has equally the amount of her but yeah no you you learn that she can definitely be taken apart mm-hmm. and which adds to her vulnerability of who she is and you know whether you see you know more of that in this story arc what it does is it opens up again who she is and a lot of people you know keep saying to me like oh i can't wait to know about this part or i can't wait to know about that part and all that shows me is a connection that the reader made with her mm-hmm. which is so key to me for the actual storyline of the adventure that she goes on. But I tell people, you know, every time this is an action adventure book, this isn't, you know, yes, there's some drama in it. There's some emotional connection because I find that's key in any action adventure book. Mm-hmm. But this five issue above all is, is an action adventure sci-fi thriller. Mm-hmm. Which I really like. Like I said, the, well, you touched on something I was wondering when I was reading. How did she get to be this way? And, and when the time is right, I'm sure you'll tell that story or you may never, you know, depending on whether or not that suits what you're doing in the comic, which, you know, kind of like, I like having questions that aren't necessarily answered because I don't want to keep reading and finding out more about what's going on. So I think you've set up a lot of interesting situations that have me really puzzled and intrigued by what's going on. So I think that was a great job. I also want to say, too, I thought the pacing was great, as well as the dialogue was really strong. You know, we, we it, dialogue doesn't slow me down in this book. It explains what's happening on many levels and it entertains as well. You, not only do you have the visuals, which are really great, but you also have the verbal entertainment, you know, the fun when she talks to people and things like that. So I thought Overall, I thought the writing on this book was terrific. I, you know, you can tell. I, I was going to say, is this your first comic? Because I, you know, it doesn't read like your first comic. It reads like something that's really, you know, you, somebody who's been writing for quite a long time. And apparently, you have been, which all comes to bear in this book. Yeah, I mean, the, technically, this is my first credited writing full, you know, series. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've written small things here and there, small sections of books uncredited and and helped other writers write full books and and edited and helped them but i think uh, one thank you for you know saying that it reads like a seasoned professional mm-hmm. it definitely you know i definitely had my struggles as a new writer mm-hmm. 
and I had you know some really great guidance of of people like John Lehman, but above all Neil Posner, who gets a, a special thanks, who is the story editor, and he helped challenge me and and guide me. Every character in this book has a very detailed background, minus you know the extras, quote unquote extras, but the actual characters have detailed backgrounds, and uh, and that's helped guided to how they speak and how they interact with each other so yeah no this this is my first go but like i said being in the comic industry for 20 plus years mm-hmm. i think uh that's where people are seeing that their you know the experience does count even if you're technically not the writer and that's part of the reason why i when i kind of refer to myself on podcasts mm-hmm. and uh they say okay so are you a colorist i say well, you know I'm, I'm just a storyteller it doesn't matter if i storytell through coloring or writing, or editorial, or you know, design. I'm always trying to tell a story, mm-hmm. and with Stain, I'm trying to tell a story with my actual uh, writing ability. That's great. I really loved it. I thought it was a terrific book, and uh, the pages for number two have me really fascinated too. She's in a different, little, uh, somewhat different situation. And according to the book, it's going to be out on June seven, Wednesday, June seven. So I'm looking forward to that. Is it going to be monthly from that point on? Are we going to get it like the say the first or second Wednesday of the month? Yeah, it's it's monthly. Yeah, every book comes out monthly on time, as as all the books are already done. It's definitely important for everyone to pre-order it at their comic book store. Mm-hmm. Uh, to let them know, being independent, stores only order so much. Uh, issue one, uh, completely sold out, but we're working on getting an announcement very, very soon to make sure that people can still read it. Mm-hmm. But it will be out monthly, like clockwork, mm-hmm. so you, you don't have to have that fear that this independent is going to have this major break in between. There will be no break. You get to enjoy your story as intended as a comic book reader. Now, you know the Dark Knight story, which I I tell in this podcast occasionally. Frank Miller, The Dark Knight Returns, the first issue was out. The second issue was the next month. The third issue came out six months after that. And the fourth issue came out a year after that one. Yeah, and and that's... That's bad for anyone. It doesn't matter how big or small you are. That's just something that you're hurting the commitment to the reader because I value everyone's hard-earned dollar that they give towards my project, and, and I'm, I'm sincerely thankful. That's why uh, you know I would not charge for a signature, you know, no matter how many you know is requested. If you're a retailer and you bought 60, I'll give you 60 signatures. <laughs> it's just one of those things that I kind of find the social commitment between creator and reader or or retailer is purchasing the book and if it goes on ebay for 50 bucks so be it because that's the chance you know other people are taking i don't i don't worry about flippers or or anything like that that if they want uh you know to come say hi to me at a a show or anything to always know that they bought the book boy am i excited to meet them you know (laughs) i'm probably just excited to meet them if they bought the book as they are to meet me Mm -hmm. and if not you know more so just because they are taking a chance and spending their hard-earned money on something that I created. Now, this is a five-issue miniseries as it stands. You've been talking like those other stories you want to tell as well, not only this one. Based on how the success has been for the first issue of this and the interest in further issues, have you already started thinking about doing the, a second miniseries or like an ongoing? What do you have in mind for Stained after this? Well, so originally when I was pitching Stained, it was a 12-issue story that was – then potentially ongoing. So I actually have three story arcs and there's a couple, you know, retooling that happens. This stained issue is actually stained 
originally was going to be issues five through eight. <laughs> and because of the way publishers operate and things like that, I couldn't get anyone to sign on for 12 issues and I couldn't fully fund 12 issues. <laughs> I uh, kind of pulled a Star Wars and, and <laughs> uh, released what I thought was my favorite story out of all of them. Mm-hmm. And with the success of what's happening, I'm going to retool issues one through four to be six through ten, which will actually come out not necessarily as six through ten, but it'll come out as its own miniseries again. And if we bring that one out for this, it has enough success and we bring that one out, we'll definitely bring out the issues planned after that, which would have been nine through 12. Now, granted, all of those will be probably five issues. We'll extend it to five issues each to give a little bit fuller independent story. (laughs) But yeah, no, there's a clear plan for Emma and who she is and and who she meets and a full understanding of, again, why referred to the book as stained. Mm -hmm. Now, is there going to be a trade of one through five at some point? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Now, question is, and I always have to ask people this because this is one thing that I, I'm never sure what's going to happen in comics. Is it going to be stained number six? Are you going to have stained subcolon, you know, semicolon or colon, the second story kind of thing? How are you going to move forward if you go forward? If we go forward, my personal preference is to kind of do what Hellboy does, which I've always enjoyed. So it would be stained, and then I would have it have a, a second title, mm-hmm. and then it would just come out one through five again. Okay, that makes sense. Honestly, in this era, it's probably good to do that. You know, I don't think people really worry about issue number six so much. Issue number ones will always do better. Even if it's a second run, second storyline, right. it'll always do better. And uh, you'll do better as a result of those nice kind of things, I think. Part of the reason I want people to know it's a self-contained story, issue one through five is a self-contained story, is you know the next storyline that I have plays off of that, but that also is a self-contained story. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for people to understand that, you know, yes, it's going to have possibilities for more. Yes, you can absolutely have more questions about what it is but the actual story itself is there also it helps with the break so when i tell people that it's one through five miniseries and hold true to that and then i take my year break to cultivate another amazing story i kind of think of it you know the way movies would be we're not filming we're taking a break we're cultivating doing uh, a little press things like that doing some other jobs to really you know recharge the batteries and then come back with what it is now could i do it ongoing sure but you know with the independent market i just don't see that being a wise decision i think we can get more out of it in terms of reader response and appreciation for the work if we take that small break okay because uh, it's just a great book i really enjoyed myself reading it and i just that's why i had to come back to you the next day i saw you at the convention again and i said i read it and i really liked it because i wanted to let you know i don't think creators hear that enough that when somebody really likes a book they go back and say they like it so that's why i kind of i did that with you because i thought it might be helpful to you to know that people really like the book you know absolutely not only do we buy it but we liked it too so yeah no i mean it's i never want to send someone home with a five dollar book that they didn't like so it's good to you know when when you came back and and others came back to say hey i I, i've read it or i'm halfway through it and i can't wait to read it more it's definitely something that keeps creators batteries charged and full and and ready to keep doing what they do now this is the first time i've actually interviewed somebody from 451 because i have i've seen books and stuff like new york comic-con i've seen your stuff and i've read some of it but this is the first time i've really gotten a chance to talk to somebody from 451 so i'm really happy about that this is kind of a first for me 
with getting to be able to talk to you about that. Do you find, the, and I'm sure you won't say anything really negative about it, but what about 451 appeals to you as a company? The biggest thing that appeals to me, because again, I've worked with DC, I've worked with Valiant and, and so many others, what really appeals to me about 451, and I've, I've told other professionals this, I, I truly believe it, is their openness to understand your project. They are, uh, you know, a media group. They're not necessarily a comic book publisher per se, in terms of the sense of what their goal is. They're looking for great projects, and it's not that they're looking to turn everything into a movie instantly, but that is part of their goal. They're looking for the whole global print brand. So when they took my book, part of the reason they signed on to it because they also thought that this would make a great movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of their first true comic book writers that came from comics first, not from Hollywood first. Mm-hmm. And with that, there's a different freshness to them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there also is that learning curve. You know, this is their first number one sellout. Stain sold out the distributor at Diamond two days before it went on sale. That's mm-hmm. a first for them. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, yeah, on Wednesday at the release, 99% of all stores completely sold out of stain number one. <laughs> and the ones that didn't sell out didn't really tell people about it necessarily. They just kind of ordered it because of jocks cover or whatever. Mm-hmm. But as far as I understand, those places went out. I've, I've had numerous stores that told me that stain number one was their highest seller, <laughs> you know, for, for the month. Wow. And, at, and we're not talking about like 30 copies. I mean, one store told me, you know, they, they sold 147 copies wow. out of their 150 that they ordered. Wow. And part of it was because I was going to be there mm-hmm. to do a signing for them. Mm-hmm. But part of it is also just the feedback of when people buy it in the word of mouth. I mean, word of mouth is so huge. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a big print run for them. It was, it was their best selling book. It was their first one to sell out. It's their first one most likely go into a second printing. There's a lot of firsts out there. It's not their first variant cover, but it's their first one in five variant cover that they did. They've done cover A, cover B. So there's there was a definitely a comic book learning curve on them that they were completely open to ideas. I mean, it, working with them have been fantastic. And because they have been open to my ideas, but I like to say I was, I've been open to theirs as well in terms of where they're coming from, where they like to spend their market dollar, what are their goals as a company, and how versatile they are. I mean, they're they're definitely a media group. They're just they're they're not just in comics. Yet the people that work in their comics part of their company are completely invested in comics. That's their number one goal. That's their number one thing they work on. And so there's a lot of great people at Four Five One. I don't have anything negative to say about them. Mm-hmm. With every young company. Uh, because they're young in the comic part, not necessarily in the world part, but in the comic part, uh, they're two years old uh, or going on two years old. Come, I think, October, they'll, they'll be two. There's still you know, some learning curves. So I'm really happy to be a part of that and to have Stain be so successful, not just for me, but for them as well. It's, it's very rewarding. Mm-hmm. I, I could see this on Sci-Fi or USA Network so easy. I mean, it just would fit perfectly in with them. It just, it would be a perfect TV show with them, more movie as far as that goes. Yeah, I would. You know, I, I tell people that I think it works great as a movie, but I think it really works as those limited seasons go when you have those special event seasons. With what Emma does for a living and who she is, you know, the stories can really go anywhere. Just you know, like I said, just like a James Bond character, mm-hmm. it. But what seals the deal for Emma is the way that she develops as a character, who she is, how she reacts, how she acts towards others. I think that's why people 
want to follow her and, and all the feedback and criticism that you've been giving during this podcast just shows that to me. So it's, again, it's very rewarding to hear your feedback and, and others. It's highly recommended. I think it's just a, one of those great books. You know, I, I, we don't know all the great books that are out there. And that's why I kind of, when I go to conventions, I look for these kinds of things, something that's really great that uh, deserves to be promoted. And that's why I, when I talk with you, I wanted to set up and talk with you on the podcast because I think it needs to be promoted and getting a lot of attention because it certainly deserves it. It's just a terrific book. Thank you. Now, as far as you, you've got these going along and the possibility of a second miniseries, are there other projects you're working on that we should be aware of? You, no, not really. You know, there's uh, I, I do a lot of charity work around my local community that I joke around. I actually I think I do more charity work than I do paid work, um, which which I'm a okay with, and and it's it's one of those things. So really, on the horizon, professionally in comics, there's definitely stained. I'm promoting that big time. I'll be at Phoenix Comic Con. I'll be at New York Comic Con. And then there's talks of some other conventions in between. And I have a signing in London at Forbidden Planets uh, in June. Uh, there's talks of a, of a Dublin signing uh, around you know, the same time. And so besides Stained and the next volume of Divinity, there's not much that you're going to see from me yet. But there's always talks. I mean, they're, they're, I'm always open to to hear about things. Again, I live by the motto, make comics that you want to read. Mm-hmm. So I don't like just to take any project, and my editors know that. But at the same time, I could pop up pretty quickly in other other ways. Well, I enjoyed meeting you at Comic Palooza. I think that was a great way to kick off my relationship with the book was to get to talk with you and, and kind of get a sense of what the book was about from you, which was kind of neat. That's why I, I was going to ask you what other conventions you're going to go to. So I'll, I'll probably see you in New York. I'm going to be at New York Comic Con as well. So it'll be fun to catch up with you there and see what issues are out there. I'm going to, I, gotta, I hope I can get this through my local store. But if I can't do that, this is on Comixology, is it? This is on Comixology, and if you can't get it through your local store, I mean, one way you can guarantee it from your local store is to pre-order it. The other way to do it is to message 451 directly. Mm -hmm. They will either help you find your local store, or if you say, hey, I don't want to go through my local store, I want to order it through you, Mm -hmm. you can do that as well. There's many people out there willing to sell you comics. Hmm. We just have to connect you with them. Okay. Now, as far as social media and keeping up with the stuff you're doing, I know you're on Twitter. I saw you there. And I think, uh, what other places are you at? If we wanted to keep up with the stuff you're doing, what's the best ways to do that? The best way is to follow me on Twitter, which is MyZombies, which is M-Y-Z-O-M-B-I-E-S. David Barron was taken, as I like to tell people. So uh, <laughs> MyZombies uh, kind of has a, a secret history, uh, a story for another time. But uh, then that same screen name could be used for Instagram. Mm-hmm. You can follow me on DeviantArt. I, I'm not on there. I check it a lot, but I don't necessarily post a lot because of some of their licensing agreements that they, that they put forth. But I'm definitely always available for a chat on any of those sites. I do portfolio reviews. I do give feedback. I do help as many people as I can break into comics because I I think more the merrier, especially if you're trying to produce good quality stories. I don't sugarcoat things. I tell people where they need to prove that that's where it's at or I think they're great. And I tell people, look, I started when I was 15 and I was not good. I had passion. I had definitely... There's things about my work that showed interest that I could keep developing. But at the same time, when I look at my old work, it's not where it is today. 
And I give everybody opportunity to develop because if you don't let people develop and you just shoo them away too early, you're throwing away some great future artists and storytellers. And, and that's not something I'm into. Mm-hmm. Well, you're doing a great job. I love the book. I can't wait to read the future issues and more stuff from you. I got one last question from you. When I started to follow you on Twitter, I noticed that you have an interesting description. We talked about the fact that it says writer and color artist, but it has another word on there that kind of intrigued me. <laughs> it says writer, color artist, model, with a question mark after it. I don't know many comics people who could get into the modeling industry. Are you a model? Do you do, you it, do modeling? It's kind of a joke. The answer is yes, I do modeling. However, I would not really consider myself a model. A very talented photographer named Alan Hess, who has photographed many celebrities in the comic book world and in the movie world, and especially in the concert world, as Rihanna and and Billy Idol and Miley Cyrus. And I mean, he is one of the best concert photographers I've known, and his work can be seen all over San Diego. He's a good friend of mine, and he writes many how-to books. And there are several times where I will be uh, in his books as a model. Hmm. Uh, because what we do is uh, I take a lot of photographs myself, and he was you know, kind of my uh, a mentor when it came to that. And we loved shooting things together because uh, we did a lot of zombie, because I do a lot of special effects makeup as well. Hmm. And so I would do some zombie makeup, and we'd go, and then we'd mess around with lighting. But one of the things that you do before you bring in the actual model is you know you test your lighting and so I kind of was a model and then I just started appearing in all these books and uh, and I have them on my shelf I'm looking at them right now in fact that you know there's there's six books that I you know that I appear in and uh, so it's so it's, it's definitely a joke when I put that it's just more going to be fun but you know the truth is is well maybe I, maybe I actually am because I'm in all these books and magazines. But yeah, so that, that's where that comes from. Okay, I was just kind of curious because I saw that in the question. When somebody ends a thing with a question mark, then I got to know the answer. <laughs> so that's why I was asking that. So David, you're doing wonderful stuff. I think Stained is a terrific book. Glad it's been such a big success. I hope it gets to be even bigger as things go along. And we get to see Stained for quite a long time to come. Thank you so much. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. That's a wrap for this episode. Until next time, keep reading your comics.